All right. Today's Bible reading comes from Esther 4, 13 through 17. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three nights or for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will, do, will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all Esther's instructions. All right, thank you, Heath. I invite you guys to uh, pray with me as we enter into this time. Father God, we thank you so much for being gathered as your people. Father, I thank you so much that you have called us to be uh, a chosen people, uh, a royal priesthood, so that we can continue to declare the praises of you who has called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Father, as we are in this light, in your word, I pray that you continue to show us who Jesus is and what he continues to do in and through us. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, so we are continuing on in our sermon series, Trials of Trust. And over the past two weeks, uh, you guys have heard Pastor Josh moaning and complaining about these different uh, characters and having to struggle with some of these different characters as, as we talk about how these Bible characters, mainly a lot of these are, are Old Testament characters, and how they struggle to be able to trust in God and, and God's faithfulness to be able to allow him to continue to do the provisions that he does, uh, not only through Israel, but throughout the world and what that means for us today. And uh, it's been a, a really fun thing to be able to sit back and to watch Josh struggle because I myself have struggled through these characters. And I'm, I'm excited to be able to share about the story of Esther. How many of you guys have read the story of Esther before? Not to like call anybody out, but if you haven't had a chance or if you've already read it before, I highly encourage you guys this week to read through this story. It, it's a great story. It has a lot of action, a lot of great things. And uh, yeah, just my challenge for you guys this week is to be able to take a moment to be able to go through and we're going to talk about the story of Esther. In fact, we're going to go through the whole, we're not going to read through the whole thing, but we are going to go through like the SparkNotes. Is SparkNotes still a thing? Does anyone know? If Spark, anybody know what SparkNotes is? It's kind of like the shorthand version. Yeah, it's kind of like the shorthand version of like a story to get all the kind of main points in it. And there's going to be some moments where, you know, there might be some things that I leave out, but we just want to be able to get the, the whole story of it together. But I figured it would be a fun way for us to do this in like a sitcom style way. How many of you guys like sitcoms? Anybody? There's like no one here. Okay, cool. Uh, come on. Uh, we're going to need some uh, active participation in here today. So, uh, you know, in sitcoms, when you like tell a joke, what happens? They, what, what happens? They laugh. There you go. So we're going to do kind of a sitcom style thing. And I got some uh, cue cards for you guys. And so we're going to go through this. And uh, just to make sure you guys are awake this morning, I just want to make sure you guys are paying attention. So uh, our first one up, um, and for those of you guys at home, you guys can do this. Uh, I definitely encourage you to do it. It's going to be hilarious when, like, it's just you by yourself. Anyways, I just think it's going to be funny. Okay, so when I hold this up, you guys are going to do the thing, okay? All right, ready? Okay, not bad, not bad, not bad, not bad. Okay, cool, 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 cool. All right, second one up. 
I gotta figure out a way to do this. All right. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. Oh, that's pretty good. All right. Good job. All right. Oh, I think you guys have too much. Okay, so this one is more like uh like if your sibling ever got in trouble and like they had to go to their like your parents and you're like, oh dude, like you're in trouble. <laughs> that was good. That was pretty good. All right. All right. And this one's more of like a, like if you're at like playing golf. Okay. There you go. All right. That was very gentle. Very gentle clap. I really appreciate that. Okay. Everyone pick that up. Okay. We're all clear. Okay. So we're going to go through the story of Esther and I'm going to throw up the cue cards and you guys are going to have to pay attention to see what, you know, what the thing is. Okay. All right, so the story of Esther starts off with uh, a little bit of context behind it is that the Jewish people uh, during this time, they were in Babylonian exile, and then King Cyrus said, hey, you guys can go back to your homeland in Israel and in Judah. But majority of the people during that time, after the exile, ended up not going back to their homeland. So there was this Jewish people that ended up being a community together in a place called Persia. And, And this story of Esther takes place in the capital city of Persia, which is called Susa. You guys read about it a little bit in there. And during this time, this king, his name is Artaxerxes, he holds this multi-day party. And it's more of a party, it's not like multi-days, it's like six months of partying. Like, can you imagine partying for six months? And they get wildly drunk, and the king, in his drunken stupor, wants to show off his beautiful queen. And so he's trying to show off to all of his friends, see how beautiful he is, and her name is Vashti. And he goes to try and uh, show off this queen to all of his friends. But unfortunately, she refuses, and the king ends up taking away her title. That was good. All right. And so what happens is that the king ends up making a decree to all of Persia. He's like, hey, husbands, you guys are now over your wives. You guys are in charge of your wives. A really terrible decree. And then he ends up uh, taking away her queen title, and he ends up holding some sort of like a beauty contest. It's kind of like a a way more interesting version of The Bachelor, if anyone's seen it. I haven't seen it. Uh, But anyways, so they end up holding this beauty contest for all of Persia, and all these women come from all over the place, and they're showing off to the king. He's sleeping with them. He's trying to figure out which one's going to be the next queen or uh, another woman for him. And so there enters this woman whose name is Esther. And what happens is that Esther joins in on this beauty contest, and guess what? She wins. There you go. Good job. But the thing about Esther is that Esther was one of those uh, Jewish uh, people that left the exile and ended up living there. So she's Jewish, but she ends up hiding her identity and not telling anybody that she's Jewish. And what happens is that Esther is so beautiful that he wants to elevate her immediately to be queen, which is a really cool thing. So she's now officially queen over Persia. And during this time, as the king is elevating Esther to be queen, What happens is that this guy named Mordecai, who actually happens to be Esther's cousin, he's outside of the capital, and he hears this plot in order to kill the king. So he hears about this terrible plot, and he's freaking out, and so he ends up going to his cousin Esther, who's the queen now, and he reports it to Esther. And then Esther, as the queen, ends up going to the king to tell him about 
what happens. And so the king finds this out, and he gets the people who are trying to kill him executed. And then Mordecai gets praised, and he ends up going into something called the Chronicles, which is just like a story of all the great things and victories that happened in Persia during that time. Now, here enters another person into the story. His name is Haman. Everyone go, boo. Uh, Haman actually is a descendant of a Canaanite, which if you know any of some, some of the history, there's a lot of tension between Canaanites and Israelites. Um, but Haman actually gets elevated to power. He actually gets second in command. And so what Haman does is he tries to have people bow to him as he continues to enter. And one of the things is that he engages with Mordecai, and some people say, hey, Mordecai is not bowing to you. And that makes Haman very angry. You guys are awesome. This is way better than I imagined in my head. Anyways, so Haman, what happens, Haman gets so furious that he writes a decree with the king's approval with a signet ring. He gives him this ring. The king has no idea what's going on. Haman writes this decree to execute all of the Jews in Persia. (laughs) Very delayed. Um, And the way that they decide is that they roll these dice called poor to decide on what day they're going to execute execute all of the Jews in all of Persia, the entire country. And and it ends up being the 13th day of Adar, so it's uh, months out from them. So then Mordecai finds out, and he's freaking out, and so he ends up going to the queen, whose name is Esther, about this potential genocide that's going to happen. But the problem is, is that if the queen approaches the king, or if anyone approaches the king, without being summoned first, they could lose their life. And so this is where we get into the story text that we read today, where Mordecai is like, maybe you've been put into a power for a time such as this. And then Esther, she says, if I perish, then I perish. And so she takes this bold jump to be able to get the king's approval. And so what Esther tries to do is she ends up holding two parties for the king and for Haman. So the first party she holds for the king and Haman, they get extremely drunk. They just get wildly drunk, just completely blasted. And then after the party, Haman leaves this party. He sees Mordecai again, is reminded about Mordecai not bowing to Haman, And he gets so angry that he tells all of his people, he's like, hey, I want you to build a stake for me tonight so that in the morning I can go to the king and get approval to have Mordecai executed. So his plan is to try to execute Mordecai the next day. Uh, So the next day, sorry, in that same time after the party, the king, he's in bed and he's trying to go to sleep. And for some reason... He can't go to sleep. So he calls someone in for a bedtime story, and basically what happens, I thought that was going to be funny. Uh, He calls someone in. (laughs) He has someone in and reads the Chronicles to him. Remember I told you about the Chronicles? The Chronicles are all the great things that happen in Persia. And what happens is that they read about all the great things that Mordecai did in order to save the king. Golf clap. Very good. There we go. So he really likes Mordecai, and he's like, man, I completely forgot about Mordecai saving my life. And so the next day, just as Haman is about to go to the king to ask for approval to have Mordecai executed, he's like, Haman, come here. I want to talk to you. I I really want you to elevate this guy and to parade him around the city on a horse while people are cheering and caring for him. And Haman's like, yeah, sure. Who's the guy? And he's like, Mordecai. And he's like, but, oh, 
So the king orders Haman to elevate Mordecai, put him on a horse, and parade him around the city and praising him for saving the king right before Haman tries to have Mordecai killed on the stake. It's good. Good, good, good. And so because of this, uh, then the second party happens for the king and for Haman. So Esther comes in to this party. They get, once again, wildly drunk, shocker. And so Esther then confesses to the king about what Haman has done with his decree, about this decree to have this complete genocide happen to all the Jews in Persia on the 13th day of Adar. And then Esther shares that she is Jewish herself, which means she would be executed. And so the king gets upset because, because he loves his queen, and he ends up having Haman killed at the stake that Haman had set up for Mordecai in the first place. And so ends up that Haman gets, this is terrible, Haman gets executed. So there you go. Yeah, good job. And so now, at this point, Mordecai gets raised to power, and he gets second in command. He takes over Haman's spot. And, or, and Esther and Mordecai, what they have to do, since a decree goes out from a king, it actually can't be retracted. So what they have to do is they have to set up a second decree in order to combat the first one, to set up a decree for the Jewish people that on the 13th of, of day of Adar, when people try to uh, execute all of the Jewish people, the Jewish people now have permission to be able to defend themselves and to kill off anybody who tries to take them and try to kill them. And so they are reversing the decree that, is, that Haman had set up before. So that's a good thing. And in celebration of this, they end up throwing a party in celebration when Mordecai and Esther save the Jewish people in Persia, and they call it Purim as a way to be reminded of the dice that was rolled, remember, called Pur, in order to reverse the decree that Haman had set up. And so they end up having a celebration at the end to save... And thanks to Esther and Mordecai. Okay. All right. Give yourselves, a round, give yourselves a round of applause. You guys did a great job with that story. I know it's kind of a long story, and I hope you guys pay attention, but it's a really cool thing to be able to see uh, all of this in this story. There's a lot of things that I probably missed as far as detail. So, again, I encourage you guys to go back and to read uh, some of these uh, different details and read through this book. But what's so interesting as we get into, and I can take control from here. There we go. Uh, what's so fascinating about this book in the Bible is that this is one of, the, one of two books in the Bible that doesn't mention God. Did you notice that I didn't use God in that story at all? The, the only other book is Song of Solomon. It, it, it's fascinating, isn't it, that, that a book that's used for Christians to talk about God doesn't actually use God's name and is in the Bible for us to read. And I think this is important for us as far as implications, because the author here, which we don't know who the author is, but the point of this is to show that, that God's presence is still there, even if it doesn't explicitly say so. And we can see this as we read through this story of Esther, that you can see God's fingerprints throughout all of this story. You get to see these patterns of Esther and Mordecai's story shows that God is not absent from their lives. Think about the, the, the coincidences, or I have a friend that calls them coincigods, which I really like. These coincidences of, of Esther being the most beautiful woman in all of Persia, and she's Jewish, becoming queen. And, and Mordecai just happens to find out about the plot to murder the king as she's being elevated to power. 
Or the king, when he can't sleep, even though he's completely blasted, he's reading these chronicles of, of Mordecai's deeds right before he's about to get executed. Or, or the stake that Haman set up that was intended for Mordecai is actually used on Haman. And then also the ver verse decree of the festival of Purim to save all of the Jewish people. And, and what I love about this is that God enters into the narratives of our lives to show his work in, in so many of these patterns. And, and here's the temptation, though. The temptation for us is when we read stories like this, or, or any story, specifically in the Old Testament, is that we take them as almost being allegorical, right? Like there's a moral to the story to show us something. But, but these are real events that, that happened and a real God who took real control over a situation, even though it doesn't specifically use God's name. And, and it's easy for us sometimes to put ourselves into the narrative of something. And, and the beauty behind it is that these stories honestly have nothing to do with us, and at the same time, they have everything to do with us. And, and as we read through this story, like, this can't be an allegorical story alone with just a good moral story, because the reality is that, I mean, have you heard the amount of times that we talked about someone getting drunk? Like, the amount of immorality in this story is almost appalling, right? It's filled with drunkenness, it's filled with sex, it's filled with murder, it's filled with anger. And one of the, the coolest things that, as we get a chance to be able to read through a story like this, uh, that I really love, is that, oh, it's frozen, is that, what Pastor Joss always says, he says, God specializes working in and through broken people. That these people who were exiled were exiled for a reason. They were exiled because they were being unfaithful to God. Why would he have any need to save these people who continue to fall after false gods, marry other people, fall into false religions? It's because that God... God loves us and he cares for his people and he specializes in caring and working in and through broken people. That, that even when his people remain unfaithful to him, God continues to remain faithful to us. So, so what about your own life? Where in your own life do you find moments where it's hard to see God at work? Maybe it's in crisis when it seems like everything around you is chaos all around and you're just trying to figure out what to do next. Maybe, maybe it's when things are going really well for you. Maybe, maybe you got a new job, you're making more money, your relationship with your spouse is going great, your kids are doing fine, they're in sports, they're plugged in. Maybe it's a time when you don't see God at work in some of those great things that happen. Or where I find most of my life is just the mundane of life, where you're going through the motions and just kind of doing the things that you just always do, and you just don't even notice what God is doing in and through your life. When everything else seems stagnant, sometimes we think that God is stagnant too. But, but here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's the beauty of, of who God is, is that the scriptures show us that when the world around you is falling apart, God is present. When everything is going well for you, God is present. And when nothing exciting or extraordinary is happening, God still remains to be present. 
Because trusting God with your life means surrendering control, even when it feels like he's not working. That, that need to be able to surrender so much of our control, right? Because all these different circumstances is us trying to take control of our own lives when really they don't belong to us. God is in control in all things, and oftentimes we try to pull on the steering wheel to make sure that we're going in the right direction, when in reality we're crashing into the side over and over again. We trust that God is in work because he works in the mystery of everything around us. And we see that more so in the theology of the cross and the person of Christ. There's a psalm that, that David writes when he's in complete anguish and he feels completely abandoned. And he says these words, and you guys have heard these words before, maybe on, on Good Friday. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, why is your name not written in the narrative of my life? How come I'm not seeing you work? Have you abandoned me, God? Are you so far away from me? In one of the Psalms, he says, my tears have become my own food. That's how much anguish I'm in. And the ability to trust in Christ doesn't even come from us. But it's God continuing to hold on to us in Christ. One of the things I love about the story of Esther is that at the end of the story, they, they have this feast where they celebrate, and they call it Purim. And it goes like this. A lot of Hebrew kind of heritage and uh, kind of culture is that oftentimes they, they celebrate the things that have happened in the past to see what happens in the future. So if he was faithful, if God was faithful to us back then, then that means that we know that he's faithful to us now. And I think what's so important is that in order to put our trust in his presence at the present, we have to look at the past. And I think one of the most clearest examples for us is that we always talk about is uh, 2020. Anyone remember 2020? Yeah. If God was faithful to us two years ago, doesn't that show that he's faithful to us now? As we come into worship, what Skip uh, generously helped lead us through, the Apostles' Creed is a faith of people that have been passed down from generation to generation, in incorporating the faith into their own lives. It's a faith that we continue to hold on to for generations. In a few moments when we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the past when Jesus was about to be betrayed and he's with his disciples for his very last time to spend time with them and to give him his body and his blood for them to eat and to drink to be reminded that they are the church together, to, to be reminded of what God is, is doing now, we have to be able to look at the past and how faithful he's been all throughout the years of our life and even before us. And this is what I think is amazing, is that Mordecai says these words that we read, and he says this to Esther right before she goes to the king and they figure all this out. In a moment of crisis, he goes, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That God continues to be faithful in the past for, for a reason to be faithful to you now. And that we can put our trust in what he's doing. And, and Esther, in, in full trust, in the trials of trust, she goes, and if I perish, I perish. If I die, then God's still going to remain faithful to me. That even in the worst circumstances of life, God is still going to provide. 
It's that hope knowing that God will continue to redeem his people and bring about good for his own purpose. And this is what I love, is that 1 Peter 2.9 says this. It says, but you, you, y'all, are a chosen people. Not by anything that you've done, right? Because we continue to not trust God. We continue to go against uh, what God's command is. We continue to be unfaithful, but he still calls us chosen. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You've, you've been elevated by God himself. A holy nation set apart for himself. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who in the past has called you out of darkness and is still calling you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That in the sitcom of our own life, in the, the cheers, the oohs, the gasps, the claps of our lives, God continues to remain faithful to his chosen people. And this is what I love, is that we have our three words. We have our equip, we have our send, and blessed. And in this verse, you're chosen. We've been equipped by God himself through the blood of Jesus that we've been chosen and equipped to be in this world. We've been sent by, by him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light to be a blessing to those who are still in darkness. And that's the hope that we get to trust in, is that God's been faithful in the past and shows that he's present now, and it forever will show that he continues to be faithful to us, even when we're unfaithful. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how easy it is for us to forget all the things that you continue to do in and through us. And in the narrative and the sitcom sometimes of our own lives, we want to see your name written all over the pages. And Lord, sometimes we don't always see that. But Lord, you remind us that, that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, in our times of, of chaos, in our times of, of great plenty, in our times of stagnation, God, you continue to remain faithful to us, even when we're faithless, even when we don't always put our trust in you. Father, I pray that during these trials of trust, that we would continue to lean on you and to grip the cross of Christ whose blood was shed for us in our place. Father, we thank you for who you've been, who you are, and who you continue to be forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.